I'd like to give my welcome to you as well, you in person and you who are joining us online today. Uh, Tom Petty sang it and we've all lived it, right? The, The waiting is the hardest part. It's hard to wait, especially when you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you're in grief or pain or darkness or doubt. And so far in this series, we talked about some of the challenging things that we wait and wade through, uh, like rescue from bad leaders or relief from life at the kind of bottom of the cave or, or, or waiting, as John talked about last week, for the future glory that awaits us in Christ. Well, today, guess what? We flip forward to the last pages of the book, the last chapter of the book in the Bible, uh, Revelation chapter 22. We look forward to that day when the wait will be over. And so listen as I read Revelation 22, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the, of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I'm I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. God bless the reading of his word. I want to draw your attention to that short, potent truth that's captured for us in verse 3. Revelation 22, verse 3 says, No longer will there be any curse. The ultimate promise of Advent is that the curse will be reversed. One day, the sad predictability of life on this earth will be completely reversed. We will experience, in a sense, the question that in the Lord of the Rings, Sam asked Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes, yes. This is the promise of Advent. And this promise speaks directly to the struggle that we have all of our lives, the struggle of waiting. And the phrase I want to use to describe the struggle of waiting today is one you may be familiar with. It's the phrase, same old, same old. Now, I I, honestly, because I'm a native Texan, I don't know if that's a Texas thing or if people say that in all, you know, if people say it in Alaska, I don't know. But, uh, But I grew up hearing that expression all the time, same old, same old. Like maybe you ask somebody, well, how'd how'd your meeting with your boss go? And they say, oh, you know, he said a bunch of vague stuff about our mission, and then he told me I hadn't hit my numbers, and then he ignored all the good stuff I've done this last year. Same old, same old. You ask a friend, how'd the church business meeting go? Well, 
Remember me telling you about that old deacon who loves to hear the sound of his own voice? Well, he filibustered his way through the reasons why we can't afford to fix the volleyball net for the youth. Same old, same old. Now, students of the Bible can tell you just where same old, same old got its start. It got its start in Genesis chapter 3. Up to that time, Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve lived in paradise. Everything was brand new. Everything was beautiful. They had each other. They had God. They lived in Eden. Their work was a joy. They had everything they could ever want at the end of chapter 2. But as we move into chapter 3, they're deceived. And they want just a little bit more. And so they listen to the serpent, the devil. He promises them things that he can't deliver on. They eat from the tree of forbidden fruit. They declare their independence from God. They commit treason against God, which, by the way, is what sin is. It's what disobedience is. It's, it's treason against the underlying reality and ways of God. And their treachery triggers a pandemic of awful consequences. It sets in, in play a series of curses, you might say. And we live with those curses today. For example, the earth, the Bible says, is cursed. John talked about this last week in Romans 8, that creation is groaning. The pain of natural disasters, uh, tornadoes touching down on Monday, right? That, that is part of the, the curse that we live with in this world. The same old, same old reality. Our bodies are cursed. Physical pain enters the picture in Genesis 3. The pain of childbirth, the pain of backbreaking labor. Yes, our bodies are amazing, they're wonderful creations, but they're subject to pain, they're subject to illness, they're subject to decay, and yes, they're subject to death. You could almost say that the abundance in Eden was cursed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Human beings would know what it's like to hunger and to thirst, to thirst for water and to thirst for God. And of course, our relationships have suffered under the curse. Our relationship with God, Genesis 3, is characterized by hiding and by unholy fear of God rather than walking with God together in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, because of sin, we know spiritual loneliness and emptiness. We also know that Adam and Eve turned on each other. They blamed each other. This also was a consequence of sin. Now, it's not like everything is bleak. We are all made in God's image. This is still our Father's world. There's still so much beauty all around us. But at the same time, everywhere you look, it's the same old, same old. The same old, same old pattern of sin and sickness, curse and decay, loneliness and isolation. Now, guess what? When we get to the book of Revelation, guess what happens to the same old, same old? It changes. Things get much worse. Have I encouraged you yet? Starting around Revelation chapter 6, evil intensifies. The world is rocked by sword and famine and plague. The world is deceived by leaders who, who place themselves against Christ. They are anti-Christ. And they deceive the world. In Revelation chapter 16, seven bowls of judgment, wrath, 
God's wrath are poured out upon the earth. The same old, same old becomes much worse, much worse. Talk about waiting. Have I encouraged you yet? (laughs) Sadly, one of the hardest things about waiting in this world of sin and pain is the sad, predictable monotony of sin and its after effects. Every time you hear a cancer diagnosis or bankruptcy, every time you hear of a termination with cause or a DUI, something in your heart cries out, ah, not again, not another catastrophe, not another squandered opportunity, not another broken promise. Have you been there? Are you there right now? When I was in college, I first read a short story by John Steinbeck called uh, The Chrysanthemums. And the story features the wife of a rancher, her name is Elisa, and she lives in this place where Steinbeck sets most of his stories, the beautiful cloistered uh, Salinas Valley in, in California. And her life is mostly isolated. She's so lonely and she's so starved for conversation. But she tends to throw herself into her work and especially into her gardening, for which she is quite skilled. Well, in the story, a man comes down the road. He's looking for work. He's what they called at the time a tinker. Uh, He fixes pots and pans, and he sharpens scissors, and that's kind of how he makes his money, going house to house, offering that service. And now Elisa is so self-sufficient, she knows how to do all that tinkering on her own. She's not inclined to give the man any work or any money. But somehow the tinker takes notice of her flowers, her flower garden, her chrysanthemums especially, and he begins to compliment them. And Elisa is so grateful to have someone to talk to about her pride and joy. The tinker says, you know what, I've got a lady friend who can grow every kind of flower except chrysanthemums. And Elisa's eyes start shining and she says, you know what you need to do? I'm going to fix you up a pot of chrysanthemum sprouts. I'm going to put them in damp sand, and I want you to take this pot to your friend. And so she begins to do that, and in the process she thinks, well, maybe I ought to find a couple of abandoned saucepans for the tinker to fix so that I can pay him a little something for his work. And the whole experience brought her such joy to her day. Later that evening, Elisa and her family are, or Lisa and her husband are driving into town for dinner, and she sees something along the side of the road. I'll give you John Steinbeck's words here. Far ahead on the road, Elisa saw a dark speck. She knew. She tried not to look as they passed it, but her eyes would not obey. She whispered to herself sadly, He might have thrown them off the road. There wouldn't have been much trouble, not very much. It turns out the tinker tossed the chrysanthemums, but kept the flower pot for himself. The whole story about the friend who couldn't grow chrysanthemums, it was all made up. And as the story closes, Elisa turns her face away from her husband so her husband won't see her cry. Have you ever felt that way? Your precious gift tossed aside like rubbish almost makes you want to surrender to cynicism, doesn't it? 
It almost makes you want to escape like a turtle into your shell. It almost makes you want to draw inward to live a life without risk. It's the same old, same old. Untrustworthy words. Broken promises, broken hearts, beauty squandered and left on the side of the road. But friends, the message of Advent is don't get used to the same old, same old. Don't become eternally accustomed to the same old, same old. The promise of Advent is the promise of Revelation 21, verse 5, where he who's seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Where he says, I am turning the same old, same old into the brand new. This is what we are waiting for. We are waiting for the wait to be over. That's been the goal of the sermon series. That's the promise of Advent. The promise of Advent is all things new. Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 promise that one day the sameness of sin and the sameness of pain and the sameness of isolation will come to a close. One day a new heaven dressed like a bride on her wedding day. This new heaven, this holy city of Jerusalem will descend to earth. One day we'll see all things made new. One day the same old, same old will be over. For example, one day, Revelation 22 tells us, we will move from sickness to healing. You see, one of the first beautiful truths that we're told in our passage is that when it comes to heaven, guess what? A river runs through it. And not just any river. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In a world that struggles with thirst, an inexhaustible river, as pure and clear as crystal, will flow from the throne room itself where God and Christ the Lamb sit. And this river, wherever it goes, will turn sickness into healing. It will turn death into life. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 47 about a river <clears throat> that would run from the temple in Jerusalem. And this river would run east into the Dead Sea. And it would make the Dead Sea come to life again. Uh, on two different occasions, I uh, have been swimming in the Dead Sea. And I didn't see any life in the Dead Sea. No fish of any kind. But can you imagine fishermen fishing the Dead Sea? Ezekiel also prophesies uh, fruit trees as well. And here we're told in, in verse 2 of Revelation 22 that on each side of this river of life, this clear as crystal river that runs through the center of heaven, that runs down Main Street, on each side stood the tree of life, or different versions of the tree of life, you might say, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Talk about your fruit of the month club. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Friends, won't that be glorious? To never again huddle around with family 
in a surgery waiting room, tossing our heads toward the door every time someone with scrubs walks in. Never again will we hear the words, I'm so sorry, we did all that we could do, but we couldn't save her. One day, one day, it won't be the same old, same old. One day, the wait will be over. Can you imagine it? I think the Apostle John wants you to imagine it. That's why he, he tells us his vision. That's why the language is so poetic and descriptive. There is a thing called holy imagination. Can you imagine it? One day, we'll move from sickness to healing. One day, John tells us, we'll move from loneliness to belonging. One of the, the sad realities of life on this earth is that of loneliness. It, it's the reality of isolation. If you've ever slammed a bedroom door shut or had one slammed shut in your face, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been ghosted by a friend or family member, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever felt like you were on the outside of a social group or family looking in, you know what I'm talking about. I went to a, a, a gathering once, um, and it seemed like a uh, social gathering, and it seemed like everybody in the room knew each other uh, except for me. And uh, I tried a couple of times to break into conversations with strangers, which for an introvert is, uh, is, is like running a four-minute mile. And, and I tried that, and it didn't work. And so then, you know, I, I, you, you got to get something in your hands, right? And so I got a cup of water, and... And then I tried to figure out where to stand, and, and then I was looking at my phone, and it was just excruciating because I just felt like I was on the outside looking in. Have you ever felt that way? One day, one day loneliness and isolation will be done. One day, more significantly, the curse that separates us from God and others will be over. That's what verses 3 and 4 promise. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. It's hard to be lonely when we have this beautiful mission serving God together. And then get this, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, I don't know what that sounds like to you to have this tattoo of Jesus on your forehead, but to me, it sounds pretty beautiful. It sounds beautiful to know that on that day, we will know that we belong to the Lamb. We will be honored to be his servants. Jesus once said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, and we will see that blessing, that beatitude come true, because we will see God face to face. And we won't have to wonder if we belong to him, because it'll be written right here. We belong to Jesus, and he belongs to us. And loneliness and isolation will no longer be the same old, same old default setting of our lives. John tells us that one day, one day, we'll move from darkness to light. Remember back in Genesis chapter one, Everything is darkness and void and chaos and the spirit is brooding over the chaos and then God begins to create our world, uh, the heavens and the earth. And Anybody remember the first thing that God created? Let there be light. (laughs) 
light before plants, before trees, before rocks and rivers and oceans and stars. Let there be light. And there was, and it was good. And somehow it's fitting that one day we won't need lamps or light bulbs or street lights or headlights anymore. One day we won't know the darkness of crime or evil or war or injustice. One day we won't stumble around in moral and spiritual darkness bumping into things and one another. When the wait is over, it won't be the same old, same old darkness anymore. Look at the promise of verse five. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. They shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever. Kind of makes you want to shout hallelujah, doesn't it? Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, Larry, yeah, that's going to be awesome one day. No more sickness, no more darkness, no more loneliness, no more isolation. That's going to be great one day. But what good is that doing me right now? And yet, I want, it, I want us to look here at verses 6 and 7, because I think something interesting happens. You know, John uh, the apostle who writes this is suffering. He's exiled the island of Patmos. He's in the midst of suffering and, and persecution. And yet look at this little exclamation point on the vision. John says, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord God, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Take note of that word. Look, I am coming soon. There it is again. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll, in this book of Revelation. Now, why are these words so important? I think it's because you and I have this tendency after we read uh, passages about our future life with God, we have a tendency to kind of take these truths and put them in an envelope and to put them in the back of a drawer for safekeeping. And that's better than ignoring them. But we tend to act as if these words will be important one day. But right now, these words have very little relevance. Nice to know, especially when you go to a funeral. But little relevance in my day-to-day -day waiting in life. But I disagree. Listen again to what the angel says to the Apostle John. He says, these words are trustworthy and true. These words, in other words, the, the, the words that promise us this life with God, they're kind of like a, a zip line that you can throw your whole heart and soul into and know that they will support you. You can, you can hang your whole weight, the weight of your whole life, on these trustworthy, true words. You can order your life around these trustworthy, true words. And they can give you strength in the midst of the current sickness and loneliness and darkness that you experience. And then as I mentioned, there's this word soon. The Greek word gives us our English word taxi, believe it or not. 
There's a, there's a sense of urgency. I don't know how many younger folks in the age of Uber have hailed a taxi, uh, but it, it, it's an act that requires great concentration. You, you kind of stand on the curb and, and you look down and your eyes are peeled for something yellow. And, and when you see something, you, you wave your hands, you, you call out, taxi, taxi. There's a sense of, of urgency about it. That's the word soon. He's coming soon. So keep your eyes peeled. Keep your life and heart ready. Keep your eyes peeled for Jesus the King, for the opportunities of work in his kingdom. Because you see, in so many ways, this future vision that's laid out for us is already taking place. As John talked about it last week, we're, we're, we're in, the, in between the, the already and the not yet. And Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. Oh, you cheated. You cheated. No, 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 you know. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us to pray that our experience of heaven one day we'll actually begin to know some part of it right now on earth. I may not know complete healing now, but I can pray for whatever degree of healing God might wish to send me in my body, in my heart, my mind, my emotions, my relationship. I may not know complete transparent friendship and communion with God and others right now, but I can pray for a deeper sense of knowing that I belong to God and God belongs to me and I can pray for deeper transparency and friendship with you. This world may get incredibly dark at times, but I can pray that God's light would shine at least a few feet in front of my path as I follow him. And I can pray that right now my little corner of the earth will look a little more like heaven than it did yesterday because heaven is coming soon. And I wanna get in on the action right now. I know that he's coming soon and I wanna have my eyes peeled for his presence and his work. This Advent season, I'm inspired as I always am by two senior adults. Never met them, only read about them. But they both lived in the first century. They lived in Jerusalem. They were both frequent attenders of the temple. One a man, the other a woman. One named Simeon, the other named Anna. The Bible tells us that Simeon was full of the Holy Spirit. And Simeon had received a promise from God that he would actually see the Messiah with his own eyes. And so every day he lived with this urgency, this taxi, taxi urgency. Every day, he didn't know the exact day, but he trusted every day that this could be the day when he sees the Messiah and no doubt, an old man, he's dealing with the same old, same old pains of an old and broken body every day. Same old, same old creaky knees that he walks on to get to the temple. But one day, one day he sees the baby Jesus. He actually holds Jesus in his arms. And he prays, now, Lord, your servant can depart in peace. Because my eyes have seen him. And just as soon as Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus are, are, are finished with their, react, their interaction with Simeon, guess who they run into? They run into Anna. 
Anna, Luke tells us, is a prophet. And she's old. She's been living a life of worship and fasting all these years as a widow. And when she sees Jesus, she breaks into a concert of prayer and praise. One old man and one old woman, each dealing with the same pains of a broken world, and yet living each day with a conviction that his promises are true. And even when they don't see it today, they know that they will see it soon. And with the strength of the Holy Spirit, they throw themselves into resting on God's true and trustworthy promises. They wait for heaven to break into earth. If you wait for something that never happens, you wait in vain. We look back on a, on a season of false hope and all we can think about is, is living in resentment and cynicism. But what if we wait with the knowledge that one day the sad cycle will be reversed? Same old, same old will be over. Instead of new things getting old and breaking down, one day what is old will disappear and what is eternally brand new will come down from heaven and loneliness will be undone because God makes his home with us. And tears will be extinct, and funeral homes will go out of business, because one day, the wait will be over. And one day, we will know that this wait has been worth it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you teach us to pray for the coming of your kingdom. You teach us to pray for the doing of your will on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, even as we confess to you the same old, same old sins of our lives, even as we confess the sad repetitiveness of our sinful and thoughtless and prayerless behavior. We look forward to that day when everything will be made new. And we pray, Lord, that even now, even today, this earth would look a little more like heaven because we experience your new and renewing power. Lord, change today as we in faith Look to that one day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.